Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Dishing with Digest. I'm Stephanie Sloan, Editorial Director, here with Mara Levinsky, Senior Editor. Hi, everyone. Well, Mara, it's our fall preview issue, and I have to be honest, there was a period of time this year where I wondered if we were even going to have a fall preview issue. Totally. But there is a lot coming up on the soaps. And I am super psyched to see it all play out. So on Bold and Beautiful, Steffi will battle with an addiction to pain pills. Bill will make a choice between Brooke and Katie. And Carter and Zoe's romance will heat up. Uh, the show is also casting a sister for Zoe, who will fold into the drama with Carter and Zenday, who will air again soon in the form of newcomer Delon Demetz. On Days of Our Lives, John and Marlena will deal with the after effects of his medical crisis. Hope and Ben will look for Sierra, and that will have a very dramatic conclusion. And Xander and Philip will face off at Titan. On General Hospital, Carly and Jax will keep a shocking secret. Anna and Peter will get a blast from the past. Robert will try to get to the bottom of whether Holly is truly dead. On The Young and the Restless, Amanda's connection to Hillary will be revealed. Phyllis and Abby will face off, and the Abbott family will embark on an emotional journey connected to Dina. And I have to say, you're right. There is so much going on on every show that we've only just scratched the surface of here, including the news that we broke online last weekend that Kelly Teabod is once again returning to GH as Britt Westbourne, a.k.a. The Bridge. Her last visit, which was earlier this year, was super short, but she still found time to take a new lover in Julian. And this time she is back for the foreseeable future. And that is a comeback I'm really excited for. I love what she brings to the show. And she's got like connections and history all over the place. So I think it's great news for uh, GH fans, as is Rayel Andrews's return as Taggart, I should add. Oh, definitely. And I feel like we talk about this every week, but the revolving door at days continues. So Allison Sweeney has signed a new deal with the show to return to Sammy in a more meaningful way than she has in the past. Marcy Miller has reclaimed the role of Abigail from her Emmy-winning predecessor, Kate Nancy. So look for a big Chad Abigail story ahead. Stacey Heideck is going to be back on the campus as Kristen. Lucas Adams is returning as Trip. Eric Martzoff is coming back after a short break. But then we have Freddie Smith and Chandler Massey marking their last days as Sonny and Will. Um, We actually have an interview with Freddie in the new issue. He says his goodbyes were very emotional, especially with John Aniston's Victor. And as for the possibility of their return, it certainly exists. But Freddie and his fiancee, Alyssa, are moving to Florida, so it will certainly take some planning. You know, I am really excited about the Alley news. Uh, I think Days' head writer, Ron Carlobati, has done such a great job of weaving her in and out of the canvas for visits. 
But to have Sammy back in a sustained way for a while is pretty thrilling. I mean, when I think about characters who are catalysts for big drama, I would be hard-pressed to think of one who can out-drama Sammy. Oh, that is so true. And I actually spoke to Ron for an upcoming story, and he said he was really thrilled to have more to write for both Sammy and Allie. And, you know, even though there have been a lot of ins and outs of days, the canvas is still mighty populated. But the news about all the exits seemed to come at once, so it made it like everyone was jumping ship at the same time, when a lot of these actors really have not been on set since the end of 2019 because uh, of, you know, Days' production schedule. Right. You know, I also feel there's been more mainstream attention paid to these exits. I mean, number one, I mean, Christian Alfonso leaving Days of Our Lives is certainly stopped the press's news. But I also feel like that for a lot of the other reporting, you know, mainstream entertainment press has less to, like, write about and talk about. So because there aren't many productions underway, but the soaps are, and we also know mm-hmm. soap stories get a lot of attention online. You know, I think it was just a perfect storm for the multiple exits to get such, you know, worldwide coverage. That's a good point. And I generally feel like exits are sort of a sexier topic than returns. You know, like people want the scoop on why someone is leaving more so, I think, than why they're coming back. It's not so common, but not entirely unheard of for there to be, as you noted, the optics of a bunch of people jumping ship at the same time. But between Allie and J. Kenneth Johnson and the news that Galen Gehring and Camila Bannis are sticking around, it's not as though like the day's cast is shrinking or that there will be demonstrably fewer characters in the story, which is, I, I think, an important point for fans to keep in mind. Not that the exits that we're talking about aren't significant ones, but it's also not like Salem is going to get cut in half or anything similarly drastic. Right. And, you know, if anything, there are a lot of good soap stories to tell these days, you know, with three of the shows up and running and days planning its comeback in the next week. You know, even with the brief COVID scare at Television City, where three staffers contracted the coronavirus, you know, B&B was able to shut down and take dark weeks and resume production seamlessly. And I think that just bodes well for what the future will bring. Yeah. Now, I'm very excited to talk to our guest today. It's soap vet Scott Reeves, who has a lot going on from being a new grandparent to running a successful coffee business and celebrating 30 years of marriage with Melissa Reeves. So let's check in with him and catch up. Hi, Scott. Hey, Stephanie. How are you? Good. Good. How are you? Oh, so good. So wonderful. There are so many incredible things that have been happening in our life, our lives lately, and uh, good stuff. So it's just, it's, it's such a nice little departure from craziness, you know, that, that, that's kind of become the norm in our world. But uh, just, you know, the things that have been happening or have to do with, with new babies and, and coffee and all, <laughs> all, all of our favorite things. <laughs> Well, that's awesome. We are going to hear all about everything, as well as just revisit all of your soap roles as well. Oh, I would love to. I would love to. I. This is so fun. This is so much fun. But first, we're going to start with your life story, which began in Delight, Arkansas. So how did you first discover your passion for performing? Uh, my Well, I discovered my passion were performing probably from the day I came out of my mother's womb. Um, <laughs> I've, I've, I think I've been performing since I was born. I, uh, it was, I, was, I was a little bit more aware of it when I was about four years old. And being the middle child, I figured out how I, I, cra- <laughs> I craved and I loved the attention I got 
when I would perform for my parents and for my uncles and my aunts. And I thought, wow, this is pretty cool. You know, I, I, I figured out a way to get the attention away from my brother and my <laughs> sister. <laughs> the middle child syndrome. Nicely done. <laughs> I, actually, uh, my being from Delight, my dad and his brothers and my dad's entire side of the family grew up and were cousins with Glenn Campbell, the late Glenn Campbell. Wow. And that was, he was, he was obviously my biggest influence musically. Uh, and then uh, my uncle, Jack Reeves, my dad's brother, he was an, uh, an artist that he went to Nashville early on and worked with Vern Gosden for uh, quite a few years and uh, also known as The Voice. And so my uncle Jack Reeves was also a massive influence musically in my life. And my dad, in the sense that he would always have country music on the radio uh, every time we got in the car, every time we went in the house, country music was played. And um, so I had it coming at me from all angles. My mother was a pianist and pianist that her teacher wanted her to be a concert pianist, but she chose to have a family instead, thankfully, or, I, or I, you know, we wouldn't be sitting here talking. That's but, right. um, <laughs> but we were blessed with my mom's piano playing, you know, throughout our childhood. And we had a, she had a piano, she had the piano my grandfather bought her when she was 11 years old. Wow. Uh, and she still has it to this day. She's going to give it to me uh, to, to bring back here to Tennessee. And, uh, and so we've, I, music, we were just inundated with music our entire lives. And I happened to be the one, the, cho- the one, the one of the three that decided to make the crazy decision to pursue it, um, professionally, eventually, you know, and, um, it, well, and just entertainment in general, just entertaining people was kind of my passion because I loved the immediate response. I loved the joy that. I brought people or that that brought people, uh, you know, whether it was singing to them or, you know, the acting aspect of my life. Um, I loved how it affected people. So you, uh, you were practically still a baby when you made your soap debut, which was in the short term role of Jake on days in 1988. So how did you break into the business on a more like formal level? My start in acting was just out of high school. My buddy, Billy Zapka, who was the villain in The Karate Kid, he hooked me up with my first commercial agent. And I had been doing everything that I knew how to do up to that point. I was going to acting class. I was getting really bad headshots taken for free. Um, I was doing all all sorts of things. And, And then I called Billy and I said, man, I've hit a wall. I don't know how to take the next step uh, to launch a career. And I, this, I know this is really what I want to do. So Billy, he said, you know what? I can get you a meeting with my commercial agent and, th- and then you're going to have to take it from there and, and prove to them that, you know, that you're, that, you know, you, you, you're going to be able to work and you're going to have to book jobs. So I had a meeting with Sutton Barth and Venari was the name of the agency. And I think they're still around. I mean, this was golly, this was 35 years ago. And so I went and had a meeting with them and they sent me on a commercial. I booked my first commercial. So of course they asked if I would sign with them and I was happy to, I was working, 
um, I was, I had a, a full-time job that I was uh, working at the time where I had the greatest boss on the planet. She would let me put in my hours, go on auditions, come back and finish my hours. And as long as I got my hours in, I could go on auditions. So I would start at six in the morning at this place, at this workplace. I'd go out, I'd have six outfits with me sometimes in my car for these auditions. <laughs> so I'd leave, go on auditions. I'd come back, I'd get more work done. I'd leave, I'd go on auditions. And sometimes I was at this company till like 11 o'clock at night trying to get my hours in. And it was during the course of that time I booked enough commercials to where I could support myself, continue to pay for acting class and not have a normal day job. So I was, which was, it was crazy. So finally I got to that point. And while I was doing that, I met my theatrical agent through an a another actor in my acting class over at the Beverly Hills Playhouse, which where I went for two years. And I got my first theatrical agent, um, they started sending me on television shows and, and movies and things. And the very, very first job I did get was on a, uh, it was on a show called the Munsters today. It was kind of a redo of the Munsters, the old black and white Munsters. And it was with Lee Merriweather, John Shuck, and a few other actors. And I, and I was like Marilyn, the normal one in the family. I was her boyfriend who lived next door. And, <laughs> and so it was my first experience and experience on a television show. And actually it was in front of a live studio audience. And so about a month after that is when I, I was sent on an audition for Doris Saba, the late Doris Saba, who was the most incredible woman on the planet. And she was the casting director for days of our lives. I mean, she was, I mean, from way back when, and I'll never forget going. Uh, I had a girlfriend at the time and it was the, my first girlfriend, and she, her mother said, if you're ever on it, if you ever do a soap, you need to, there were huge Days of Our Lives fans. She said, you need to be on Days of Our Lives. And little, lo and behold, that was the first soap I booked. And I'll never forget going on this audition because it, I, I went into the room, and it was, it was myself. It was a very young Steve Burton and uh, a couple other guys. Uh, I think Luke Perry might have been there. And we were all vying for this role on days and i get a call from doris she used to call she used to call us directly that was the kind of, i mean she was this old school man she was like i loved what you did and i think but you didn't get the part of harris but there's another role i think you're right for jake hogeston so steve that's where steve and i first met was back in 1988 uh, on days of our lives, he got the part of Harris. I got the part of Jake, and we were we were high school buddies, and <clears throat> so vying for the attention of uh, Charlotte Ross, who played Eve at the time. And so that was my first foray into into daytime. And the funny thing is, Steve, we joke about this to this day. He he went on and he had the show. Uh, uh, what was it? There was it was about a robot girl. Out of this, this world. world, yes, out of out this, of this world, out of this world, and so he he had to go. He was trying to juggle that with what he, with the day's gig, and so you know, as these young competitive actors, I'm like, oh, if Steve has to go do out of this world, maybe that means that, that they're going to be calling me in a little bit more to kind of you know pick up. And he's he's like, you you took that role from me, man. <laughs> <laughs> and so um, <laughs> the funny thing was the role of Jake was supposed to be just this recurring thing and it wound up be 
growing into a much bigger thing. Steve, the role of Harris, Steve's character, he had to go commit his time to out of this world. So I became the main character in the story with Eve. And after that went on for about a year and Shelly Curtis Litvak was the the executive producer at the time. Becky Greenlaw was a producer on the show. And, um, and I had not, I mean, Missy and I, we were just kind of acquaintances in the hall. I mean, we weren't in the same storyline at that point. And I, I became kind of the forerunner in that, in that high school storyline with Charlotte and almost a year into it, uh, they had not signed me a, a con- I was not under contract at this point, but I was, I, I was there all the time. I, it was a pretty substantial role for not being under contract. So about nine months into it, I booked a, my first starring role in a big feature film. And I went to Shelly and I said, ah, I have to, and mind you, Missy and I still, we were just acquaintances. So I said, I, I have to, I have to take this role in this film. It's a, it's a starring role. and. I said, you know, if I was under, if I was under a contract, I would have never done that. And I would have, but I have to leave. I, I'm so sorry. And so we kind of worked all that out and I left and I was supposed to go to Africa for three months for this big role. And it was a great script. And then, you know, the industry does what it does uh, a lot of times. And long story short, this movie, after I left days, after I got wardrobe, Shots for Kenya, all this stuff was shelved indefinitely because of finance finances fell through. Oh wow. So I was like, wow, this stinks. And so <laughs> it was around that time where I was I was back on the audition trail. I was hitting the pavement and I had I was I was on an audition in Hollywood for some for something. And I said, I, you know, I would I would stop by the studio when they were over at Sunset Gower. Um, I would stop by there periodically because that's the studio I worked at just to say hi to people. I had, I mean, friends I had made in the makeup room, you know, over that year. And so I stopped in and I was in the makeup room talking to someone and Missy happens to be sitting over at um, Gail's in Gail's makeup chair. Gail was her makeup artist forever. And Gail Hopkins was her name. And so they, it was really funny. I'll never forget these weird little things, specific things stick out in your mind for years. And I, I was over there talking to someone and Missy said, hey, Scott, come here for a second. And again, we were like acquaintances. I mean, hey, hey, that was about it. And so she calls me over to her chair and her and Gail were like, we were just curious. How, how old are you? Just these weird little, I'm like, uh, I think I was 21 or 20. At the time, and and I left, and I that night I had friends over, and Missy would. I just I said, gosh, that's so strange. I you know the first person who came to mind as far because I was having friends over to my apartment that night, and I was going to be the third wheel. So I said, who can I call just to come hang out? And Missy just popped into my head. I said, this is so random, but I'm going to call her and see if she wants to come over. I don't even know why. I wasn't looking for a relationship. I was like, so I called her. So this is 1989. You're calling her like from a landline, looking up her phone number. Exactly. I'm I'm calling from a landline. Did you have to call an operator? (laughs) You know what? No, I had to dial 411. Yep. Information. Melissa Brennan, please. Information. (laughs) Well, of course, 411, she's unlisted. 
and you know, she's this actress, you know, I mean, I think I had unlisted myself at that point. And, uh, and then, so I'm like, Oh gosh. So I'm on the phone. I'm calling the studio. I'm calling. I can't remember who I talked to. I can't remember how I got her number. I'm racking my brain to think of the person who gave me her number. And, um, I may have tracked Gail Hopkins down at this point and, but I got her number and I called and I, and I invited her over. I was having friends over and it just so happened that she was single at the time. We had both been broken up for about a a few weeks from, from, uh, I think she had just, she was dating John Hensley at the, you know, that's who she had broken up with. I had broken off an engagement like a month earlier Little with the girl whose mom wanted you to be on days? <laughs> no, no, no. This <laughs> that would have been good because her mom was like, wait a minute. Um, <laughs> that I met, and I, and I bowed. This is really funny. Jer- I, I, this girl I met in acting class, and I bowed. I'll never date an actress. I said, I just, that's one of my rules. Don't date an actress. And I'm sitting, you know, sitting here and acting, you know, an actor at the time. But I said, oh, gosh, what am I doing? It's happening. It's happening again. And so <laughs> I'm over to hang out. And, I, and after she left that night, my friends, everybody left. And I'm sitting there going, oh, actually, my friends left first. Missy hung out for about an hour or two after them. And we were just, we hit it off. We were, and I was, of course, I pulled my guitar out, and, uh, you know, playing guitar. For yeah, wooing her with the music. Yeah. And the funny thing is, I'll never forget, I played her a song by Led Zeppelin called Thank You. So this is terrible. I, and I've been, I, you know, since then, obviously, I, I admitted it and I fessed up. But she's like, wow, did you write that? And I didn't deny it. I guess I just kind of, I, I pleaded the fifth and I let her assume that I wrote this Led Zeppelin song. <laughs> she freaked out over it. And I'm like, what am I going to do? I can't tell her I didn't. I said, she, you know, she totally fell for it. So, so of course, I think it was a year later, you know, she figured it out because I played her the real, the real tune. And um, so she left that <laughs> night, the first night she left. And I was like, the next morning I woke up and I'm like, and I, and I, and I was still thinking about her going, oh, this wasn't supposed to happen. I'm not, I'm not looking for anything. I, I just want to act and I'm done with relationships. I'm not, and, a, and let alone a relationship with another actress. And, and so, um, we know how that ended. <laughs> we know how that ended. That I, but of course, <laughs> being the hopeless romantic that I was, um, I called her again that very next morning, and she came over and met me at my parents' house, washed my dogs. We hung out at my parents' house all that. My mom had made dinner for us, and we, and again, and you know. The rest of history, we were together every day after that and engaged four weeks after that. Amazing. Now, you were supposed to get married, but had a little setback, a health scare, actually. Yes. That's very serious. So we were, what do you remember yeah. about that time? Well, I'll never forget. Um, we were, our first date was February 24th, 1989. That was that night she came over. I was the guy, I was the, I was I was the one that I probably had a Missy box somewhere of, of like letters and, and, and every little teeny thing uh, we did. But um, February 24th was the day she came to the apartment a month, almost a, a little over a month later on April 1st, I was up in Canada shooting Friday, Friday the 13th part eight. 
So I booked my movie. It was classic horror. It was terrible. I mean, it was, but we thought we were, you know, doing Shakespeare at the time. And so <laughs> um, we, I, I asked her to marry me in Canada on April, on April 1st of all days. She's like, is this a joke? Or is this a right. Oh yeah, I'll never forget. My, she came up to visit me for a weekend, and my mom had hidden her ring in her suitcase because uh, I because I said you know I I had the ring waiting down in L.A. and and my mom she was she was a, a, a trooper man she she went and got the ring somehow hid it in in Missy's suitcase without her knowing it and I asked Missy to marry me uh, overlooking the Lionsgate Bridge in Stanley Park up in Vancouver. On April 1st, wow, uh, 1989. And so we set our wedding date to be, you know, we wanted it to be exactly, you know, we were, we were kind of those, those kids. We said, let's make it exactly a year from our first date. So we'll get married February 24th, um, 1990. And, you know, that summer, uh, I, I can't remember where, well, I remember we were hanging out at my apartment. And we had been to the beach that day and I, w- I was taking a nap and on the couch and started having, apparently, un- you know, I was, uh, un- you know, unbeknownst to me, I started having seizures on the couch and Missy was hanging, you know, she was watching TV and I my started having this thing. And so I was, I was always a prankster with Missy. So she thought I was just being stupid and fooling around and doing something. And like, I think she got half scared and half frustrated and she wound up leaving the apartment because she thought I was like taking this joke too far. Oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) And so she, she, she called me and we figured out that I I wasn't joking. And so she came back and we kind of went, what in the world just happened? Because I had no recollection of it. And about a month later, it happened again. So we knew what was happening. And she called my parents and they came over and took me to the emergency room. And about a week after that, on uh, January 23rd, 1990, uh, we, our wedding plans got kind of, you know, shaken up and we're, because I was in the hospital on January 23rd and I had to have brain surgery. And because I had an abscess on the right frontal lobe of, lobe of my brain. It was pressing in an area that was causing me to have these seizures. So it was crazy. And, um, and we, uh, we only had to postpone our wedding a month. At, and right, I, May 23rd, 1990, right? March, March 23rd. March, March, I mean. Yeah, yeah. March, March, yeah, 32390, or 90. And, um, and our wedding photos, it's really, it's crazy because we downsized, we downsized the wedding, obviously, because we want, we just wanted to get married. So we're like, gosh, we had, we had, made deposits. We had had places reserved for like this 300 person wedding. And this happened. And we, we thought, Oh, golly, I think we need to change our plans a little bit and downsize everything. And so we can get married. You know, we, we just had to postpone our wedding really for a a month. And I don't even, it's golly. We, we had 35 people at the wedding, just all immediate family. And we got married March 23rd and had you know the photo fo- our wedding photos it's really missy had she had to work that day and back then man it was like okay i mean they weren't they weren't gonna like adjust <laughs> if you were you know if you're getting married you're gonna have to work and go get married and so she went to work and she came you know it was it was it 
was like a soap opera. She had to run from work, throw on her wedding gown, still made up from work. I guess that she was hair and makeup ready. (laughs) Exactly. Our wedding wasn't, it was, it was almost as crazy as Jack and Jennifer's wedding. (laughs) And so we've run that photo a thousand times. (laughs) Yes. Yes. And so, you know, there we are in in our tiny little wedding in Chatsworth, California. Uh, I think my hair hadn't completely grown back. I had a big scar on my head coming through my, it was crazy. We didn't care though. We were like, you know what, who cares? Let's just do it. And, um, it was, so we, yeah, it was, we had a pretty, we, our lives were very eventful. (laughs) (laughs) Well, about a year into your marriage, you started a 10 year run as Ryan McNeil. I'm young and the restless. So tell us how YNR came about. Wow. Okay. So we get married March 23rd and, um, right after, right. I mean, I had to leave right after our wedding and go to, uh, Utah to shoot um, Teen Angel Part Two for the Disney Channel, and so at, at that point it was crazy. This is how our bodies are crazy, man. Because I had brain surgery, and uh, on March or on January twenty third of ninety, in May of nineteen ninety, I was in Death Valley shooting a week long Diet Coke commercial uh, for Europe, and um, so I I was I only was down for maybe four or five months before I. They, the doctor said, okay, you're, you know, you're good to go. You can start working, you know, as long as, you know, as long as, I mean, I, I probably could have booked a part for Frankenstein because, you know, I had this crazy scar, my hair, you could see it. And, um, and somehow they managed to cover it up for this commercial. And, and then I started working again and I was, you know, I was traveling. I started traveling, you know, I was, I was in, uh, Utah, I was in Death Valley. And so I was like, Okay, I'm ready to. I think I want to do another soap. So I called my agent and I said, you know what? Maybe we can, you know, start pursuing a soap again because I just loved the idea. I loved when I was on days, I loved it because I got to do what I love to do every day. And, you know, you got to work on your craft on a, on a daily and weekly basis. And, um, and, you, and you were home. I mean, you literally got to get up in the morning, go to work do what you love to do, which was a huge blessing and go back home and sleep in your own bed and be with your family. And I said, you know what? I think I need to do that again. I said, I, I, I was craving that. And so, you know, when at that time, golly, you, you all remember this, how that was just the heyday, man. There were so, and so, I mean, there was the New York shows and the LA shows. And so uh, I, I'll never forget. I went, so I started auditioning for the soaps and there was a, there was an audition that came up for all my children. And that was a real, you know, I was, I, I, I went and read, they wanted to fly me to New York to test. And it was between me. And do you guys remember Matt Borlingi? Yeah, of course. Uh, yeah, of course. Yeah. So Brian Bodine. Exactly. Yes. So <laughs> Matt and I were on a plane to New York city to test against each other. Um, <laughs> or to, you know, to play with, um, Kelly and, because uh, it was that character, the 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 Haley character that the guy was going to be working with, so I said, "Oh, this is perfect." So I'm on the, I, I, you know, and I'm not. We're just, you know, we're working and we're young and we, we haven't started having babies yet. And I'm like, okay. And so I'm on my plane to New York City, and as I'm flying there, I get, I land and I get to the hotel, and I'm thinking, wait a minute, 
if I book this, this is shot in New York City. Missy's on a show in LA. We're married. How's this? How are we going to fare? I mean, because, you know, we love being together. And we, you know, we were together every hour of every day except when we were working. And I thought, man, that's going to be really tough. And so night before I'm supposed to go in and test for this role, I was, I mean, I was, I'm going, but I want to work, but I mean, how can I leave Miss? I mean, I was, I was just torn and I was on the phone with Missy and she started crying. We were such kids back then, man. She was crying and then I started crying and then I'm like, but how can we be apart? You know? (laughs) And so I had to make the heart. I was like, oh boy. I said, ABC is never going to hire me again. They're going to hate me, but I have, I, I just, I have to make this choice. I have to make the right choice. I said, my wife comes first. And so I called my agent and I said, Claire, this is going to be really tough, but I, you need to call ABC and just tell them I need to get on a plane tomorrow morning and go home. And I was like, and she's like, okay. Uh, you know, the, the last thing an agent wants to hear after you're there testing for a show and, and she's like, but you know what? She's like, you need to do what you need to do. And you, you're, you have conviction about this and you have, you know, you know, other, there, there, there are other things will come your way. So she called ABC and they were a little, they were a little, they weren't real happy. And <laughs> I said, I, <laughs> and I, I even said, I think I even sent flowers to, I can't remember who was, who was the head of cast. I I sent flowers and I said, I just hope you understand. And I would have loved to have done the show, but you know, I was newly married and I have to, I just have to, that's my priority right now. And so thankfully I made that decision because when I got back to LA, it was, I mean, it might've been a few weeks that where, you know, I was beating myself up and I was, you know, I had all of these mixed emotions going, gosh, I just ruined my chances with this network and, but at the same time, I knew I did what was right. And, and, and Missy and I were better than ever, but I, and I just wanted to work. I'm young and I'm hungry. And so a few weeks later, my agent calls me and said, well, they want to see you over at CBS for, it's like a three-day recurring role. Over <laughs> at the young and the Wrestles. And I said, great. Okay, great. Three days, you know, I'm a, I'll go work for a few days there. I am available for other stuff. Maybe it'll turn into something. Who knows? And so I was in, I was over at YNR. I, I'll never, I went in, read for Jill Newton, who is, who I have to thank for that and who I love. She's amazing. And so I, re, I read for her, went home and I, and, and I got a call back that afternoon and I'll never forget at, before I went in to read for her. I mean, I was this. Golly, I think I I was, I was 22 and I was, I, you know, it was the part, you know, was Ryan McNeil and I was in a suit coat and I was trying to be the, the new young stud coming in that was going to take over, you know? So Bill Bell, God rest his soul. He was, you know, he and Lee, I, they have such a huge place in my heart because they, I mean, they gave me this, that opportunity, uh, to, to kind of establish myself in the daytime world. And they took a chance on me and Bill came walking out. I was waiting out outside in the hall with probably five or six other guys to go in and read for Jill. And Bill comes down the hall and I'm down a little ways and he comes, he's going to the elevator and he stops me and he stops and he looks at me and says, what's your name? And I told him my name and he said, you know what? You're going to, you're going to, you're going to hit a home run in there. 
He said, I, I think you're, I think you're going to go kill it. And he, wow. I said, I said, wow. And you know, I was like, who is that? He just had this presence about him and he was so just, but the most, he had this commanding presence, but he was so humble at the same time and so encouraging and so supportive. And I said, what? I mean, after he, he went to the elevator, I'm like, man, I'm, I felt like the king of the world. I, I, I was going to go in and I was going to conquer. I could conquer anything at this point. So I went in and read for Jill, feeling so good and feeling so empowered by this man. And went, but at the same time, oh, then I went home, got a call the next day. Hey, they want you to, they, they're bringing in about four guys to read for the producers. I said, okay, all right. So I go in and I, and Bill was in there and I'm like, oh my gosh, this, he like, he's the big dude here. And, I, and Ed Scott, and I, it was Bill and Ed and Jerry Burns. Uh, he was the head writer at the time. And I'll never forget going into Bill's office and reading. And, and the thing, and that night, the night before I, I, I came down with like, I didn't feel good. I had a cold. I'm like, oh, what, a, you know, of all times to be feeling sick. So I go in the next day, I do my thing for Bill and, and uh, Ed and Jerry, and I go get in my car and I'm like, oh my gosh. I said, if, if I, ever I've blown an audition, this was the, I, I, I blew it. I just know it. And I get a call, literally, I pull in my driveway at home, bum, thinking, oh, I didn't feel good. I know it came through. I just know it. I, my phone rings, my agent calls, and they said, well, I got a call from Young and the Restless. And, um, they loved you and they said, but, but they just would like to know if instead of, you know, three days, would, would you be interested in signing a three year contract? And I was like, are you kidding? (laughs) And I mean, I, I don't think my feet touched the ground for like the next six months. I was like, and I, I, Missy was at work and I say, you are not going to believe this. I said, everything. God has a way of working it out the details, man. I said, I turned down an all my children thing in New York. I'm kind of bummed about it because I want to work so bad, but I know I had to do it. And then all of a sudden they offered me a three-year contract on the young and the restless a few weeks later. And the rest is history. I was, that was my home for the next 10 or 11 years. And, um, I mean, and I, and again, I, I can't, I, I, it's funny because Laura Lee, you know, I'll see her put stuff up in, in remembrance of, of her mom and dad on their birthdays. And, you know, Lee, you know, Lee just, just passed, you know, not long ago, really. And those, those two, that family has provided so many incredible opportunities for people over the years to have families, to have careers, to just have amazing lives. Uh, and, and, so I, I am forever grateful to the Bell family. I, they're, I just love them. So, and they're just the whole fan. They're just all an all around incredible group of people. And I just can't say enough good things about them. Well, I'm sure you know that they were running um, classic episodes during a lot of the pandemic, which you were in a lot of them. And did you catch any of those episodes? <laughs> I, I did. I, there is no, I mean, the you know, on Instagram, of course, you know, people were like, tagging me and making me aware of it i'm like oh my gosh talk about talk about throwback thursday and flashback friday to the nth degree uh-huh. i was like i, I got <laughs> on and i started watching these things i, I feel like my voice was like three register it was a register higher <laughs> <laughs> everyone did oh my gosh you watch those. 
Oh, it's so, I mean, Heather and I, I, I was going, it was so, it was very, it was a, it was very bittersweet. Cause I was like, Oh my gosh, those were, I it made me miss that so much because Heather was, Heather was argue, argue, arguably probably my favorite co-star I ever had. Just because we had, I, we just clicked. We had so much, she was so easy to work with. And I, and I, the really, the funny thing when I first started working there, um, she came in and, and, and read with me in the office when I, she was reading the guys for Bill when the producers were in there. And she was this 15 year old baby. And I was 25. And, and I, and I obviously, I, I was playing younger at, at the time and I'll never forget. I was like, you know, I was, I was the cad who was coming in and I was going to. Lion Ryan. <laughs> Lion Ryan, man. That's right. And, um, and so <laughs> I'll never forget the first time we had an on-screen kiss. I mean, she was a baby and her mom is sitting in a chair out there by the camera <laughs> and we were in the um the coach house at the at the newman mansion uh i mean i remember these things so vividly we were there was like a like a, a horse coach out there and what ryan and and we were victor came out and walked in on us and you know he was like you know that was back in the day when he was like you punk i'm gonna break your neck you know <laughs> so, i'm gonna kill you you mess with my daughter and so so uh but our, our, that no, that wasn't our first kiss. Our first kiss was in my car, in the front seat of my car on our first date. And I was oh, I was such a caddy, you know. I was a, such a sleaze bag. I was like, <laughs> you know, come on, baby, I'll make you feel comfortable. And so, <laughs> but the real, but the real life Scott was like, I'm like, oh my gosh, I feel so bad for the Heather was like a deer in the headlights, 15 year old, like. I don't, she was so nervous and her mom is out there. And so I would like, I would try to joke with her and make her laugh, you know, and like try to lighten the the scenario as much as I could. And it was, and so over the years of working with her, I kind of felt like during those years, I felt like a big brother. And I was like, just kind of having to watch out for her and make her comfortable. And, and, uh, and we just had, I don't know, we, we would, you know, when she was that young, I was so much older than her. I, we would go to lunch and we would just talk about life and talk about the things she was dealing with. And, you know, and, and I would try to talk her through that stuff. So those were those were pretty cool memories to watch just recently in these flashbacks uh, that they that they aired. That's amazing. It is amazing. Well, another relationship that was so key to the life of Ryan McNeil was his yeah. relationship with Neil Winters. I would uh, love to hear uh, about your working relationship with Christoph and your friendship with him. God rest his soul, man. Christoph was what he was. We were probably, as far as guys are concerned, I was I was probably closer to Christoph than anyone else on that show because we were roommates and on the show. You know, we shared our apartment. I'll never. I have such fun, amazing memories of Christoph. Um, <laughs> we would we back in those days. Money really wasn't an issue for shows or budgets. They, I, the great, it was so much fun because I think we spent the first probably half hour before we'd actually shoot a scene goofing off and having fun and being ridiculously crazy uh, doing the dress rehearsal parts. And I'll never forget, Christoph and I would be have these scenes in our apartment where, and Ed Scott 
was he was the best man he he and he would like he would cater to those 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 goofy moments we would have because over the pa system all of a sudden music would just start playing and christoph and i were like in this scene and then we'd look at each other and you'd think we were either going to get into it with the scene would read as we were either going to get into this argument or get it and all of a sudden we'd stop look at each other and we'd start dancing and like (laughs) and and he, he could he was one of the most generous giving actors we had a brotherhood like no other i mean we could we it was so effortless to do scenes with him because we would just really react to each other and we'd spend a lot of time outside work too so that that was that was a big you know we would we were just, we were like the best of friends he would we were kind of i was part of a lot of his endeavors outside of the show when he he had so he was doing some projects outside of the show that revolved around daytime tv but the re, you know he was like one of the original like um what's happening in the life of so-and-so outside of the show. So he had, he had showed, he had projects like that. And we lived like five minutes from each other. We would play, we, we'd hang out outside of work and play guitar and, and just, he was literally like a brother to me. And we, you know, we worked together until I left and, and then, but then, but after I left the show, we would, we, we just, our friendship continued on well after that. I mean, uh, up until, his unfortunate passing, which was one of the hardest things that I ever encountered. And, and he, uh, I wouldn't, even after I moved to Tennessee, every time I was in LA, um, he was, he was one of the people that was always on my, let's call, let's hang out. And we'd go have lunch. I'd go to the, I'd go to the studio and meet him, you know, and hang out for a while just to catch up. And, uh, and I had seen him actually not long before that tragedy occurred. You know, I was out there and I think I posted something on Instagram where we were in the studio and we just, and it was like, yeah, every time I saw him, it was like no time had passed. It was, um, we just, he just, ex, you know, ex, like exuberated this, this, he was always like, yeah, Christoph, man, he was always happy to see you. And he always had nothing but good things to say about everyone. And, you know, and, and it was just, it, that was that was one of the hardest losses I had ever personally experienced because it was I never I never experienced losing someone that I was that close to. I have you know I've never lost anyone in my immediate family, you know, other than grandparents that were really old and you know that was not that 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 wasn't sad but tragically young you know, and um, and so uh, he was you know Christoph will ever be will forever be in my heart and soul. And and be just a part of who I am, and um, yeah, and I can't wait to see him again one day. So in 2001, Ryan was rather memorably killed off when Trisha locked Victoria up on her wedding day to Ryan, walked down the aisle in an identical wedding dress, and shot the groom. So how did you feel about your Genoa City gig coming to an end when it did? <laughs> I was like, that was, a th- that was a thumbs down, by the way, along with that raspberry. Um, I. Uh, you know, I'll never forget the day Ed Scott walked into my room, my dressing room. We, we had just finished shooting and Ed came in with tears in his eyes. Cause Ed, Ed and I, I love, we just, we, we work together so well. He, Ed, I, I, he's another one. I mean, man, it was like, it was a, they were, it, Y&R was a family, you know, and uh, all the way from the top on, I mean, everybody involved was a family. 
And so Ed came into my dressing room and with tears in his eyes says, I can't, and said, I can't believe I have that I'm doing that. I have to say this right now. And he said, you know, I think November ratings was coming up and he said, wasn't my choice. You know, he's my, wasn't my choice. And so we're, you know, we're, we're, we're going to be killing Ryan. And I, and we both sat there and we were just like, wow. And, and we just had a moment together. And I said, you know what? I said, it's okay. I said, all, you know, all good things have to come to an end eventually. And something else is in the works. Other doors are going to open and, and more, you know, the hardest part was I'm going to miss seeing you every day, you know? And, um, so it was uh, when I saw, I, Hey, I said, Ryan got to go out of hero, man. He get, he jumped in front, he jumped in front of the bullet that was going after Victoria and, you know, and, and, uh, and I'll never forget. Um, cause I, it's funny because now and again, that's that particular scene from that wedding on, on my, on our wedding day, on our, when I was supposed to marry Victoria comes up and I've gotten to see myself speak French and German and all sorts of other <laughs> languages. Cause other, you know, people, people will post those, those shows that were aired in other countries, that show. Um, and so uh, uh, I'll never, and, and it was so surreal for me when Christoph passed away because he eulogized me at my funeral. And, um, and I, I don't know if that aired or not, uh, if, you, if my funeral did, but it was Christoph. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is so surreal for me, you know, because, it, you know, it was like, it was like life imitating art, but reversed a little bit. And I was like, whoa. And um, it was, um, but you know what? It's, it's funny as far, I remember coming back um, as a ghost, not long after that, they said, well, you know, can you come back and talk to, I think I, it was a ghost in Victoria. It was in her room. And I, and I talked to Victoria uh, as a ghost. And I thought, gosh, this is interesting. You know what though? It's a soap opera. I said, how many times has Stefano DeMera on Days of Our Lives come back from the dead? <laughs> I said, hey, I don't think you're ever really going on a sober. I said, I said, you know what? Anything can happen. So uh, it was, yeah, it was, it was a pretty spectacular way to leave the show and pretty memorable. And, um, and I'll never forget a song. One of my songs was eerily playing as that all happened as Victoria slash Trisha was walking down the aisle. Um, so that was a, that was, that was a really memorable show, standalone show for me, um, because of, because of a lot of things, but, uh, you know, I thought, well, you know what, nothing, nothing, nothing is, nothing is ever permanent. You never know. And you went out with a bang, literally. Right. And literally I went out and it's, it's funny. I've I've watched the, I think it was the French version of, I've watched it a couple of times. And, and I, it's so funny. I'm like, I said, maybe I should, maybe I should try that, you know, in my next, in my next, you know, I think it was like, Tricia, Tricia, no, no. I, did this. I, I love here. I love hearing the voices of, of the, of the actors that are over, that are overdubbing your voice in, in other languages. It's really, it's, it's really funny. But, uh, but yeah, it was a pretty spectacular, spectacular way to exit stage left. And um, needless to say, ABC did hire me again after that. Yes, they did. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It took ABC, what, uh, 18 years to get over the whole uh, Brian Bodine thing? <laughs> 19, 19, and almost 20 years to get over that. I said, you know, hey, you know what? 
I think Matt did a great job. I think I, you know, we got, I said, Hey, you know what? If, the, if somebody else had to get that role, I give it to Matt Borlingis. So that, that was pretty cool. And 20 years later, they finally forgot about it and, and hired me back. <laughs> <laughs> they finally decided to let bygones be bygones. Well, tell us about that. So you joined as a legacy character. And he did send us flowers. <laughs> the flowers finally right. got delivered. He was classy oh, about it. Exactly. Exactly. Um, okay, so when you came to GH, uh, you came aboard as the legacy character, son of uh, Heather Weber, uh, Stephen Lars Weber. Uh, what was joining that show on a different network life like after, you know, having been at CBS for so long? Golly, you know, it's, it's well, just after I left CBS, I, I thought, you know what, I think I need, I think I'm going to take a break from acting for a while. I'd been doing it for, golly, 15, 20 years at that point. And I was like, I think I'm going to take a little break and pursue music full time. And so I jumped into that, that realm. And fortunately, you know, my buddy Aaron Benward and I put together a duo and saw a record deal pretty, pretty soon at, thereafter. And we were on the road with Curb Records uh, with a top 10 hit on the radio. And I was like, it was, it was a crazy crazy whirlwind whirlwind YNR and I went back and visited YNR and they had they were so sweet they made me this big poster from everyone my, for my departure and just congratulate this the whole music thing happened at around the time of my departure so I kind of stepped from YNR into a record deal on Curb Records out of Nashville and I'll never forget Ed Ed, Ed Scott he was a he loved music he has he has perfect pitch for all of you who might not have known that Mm-hmm. I know that. Um, Fun fact. He loves it. He's a music guy. Ed Scott has perfect pitch. And he wrote on my little big poster they made, man, you know, enjoy your rocket ship ride, man. You're on your way because of this. The We signed our record deal. Our song wound up going top 10. And for the next six years, I had I had no time to do anything uh, but music. And, and so we were on the road opening for, you name it, we were opening for him. So that, it was insane. Uh, you know, I went from, <laughs> the ironic thing was, I went from, you know, being in a place from a scheduling standpoint of being home and do, and acting to, uh, okay, I'm gone. You know, I was on a tour bus for six years, probably 250 to 300 days a year. And uh, because that's what you had to do when you signed a record deal, that's what they expected. You're on the road promoting your music. So our life like radically shifted. Missy was on days. I was on the road with Blue County. We were, Miss, poor Missy got the brunt of everything. We were in the process of just moving into a, this home that we were really fortunate. We got to build a house. She had to oversee the building of the house. She had to watch the kids and she was on days. I was on the road playing music the whole and I would get to come home for a weekend here or there. God bless my mom and dad. They were five minutes away from our house. So they, she was, my mom was basically our nanny and she would go to work with Missy. She would come over, she would take the kids. So we were super blessed in that way to have a family member, you know, helping us out. So, you know, but we thought, you know what, how many times do you get to do this in your life? You know, and I was doing the music. I was getting to pursue it at a level that I never dreamed I would get to pursue it and so we um three years into that record deal 
we, we thought, I thought, you know what? I literally was jumping on a jet plane on a Monday morning, flying to Nashville, Tennessee to jump onto uh, a bus and then come back home after, you know, days and days, if not weeks of touring home for a couple of days, then back out and doing it again. So that was around the time we were, Missy was like, Oh gosh, you know what? I think I need to come home. Cause Larry was, Larry was born and I was in Nashville the whole time. And so we were like, this might be a perfect time to relocate. And I said, why don't you just come home and you want, you need a, You want a break, come home. Missy said, okay, you know what? Let's do that. And so we sold out, left LA and in 2006, in the summer of 2006, we moved to Nashville, and that is when Missy said, "You know what?" And she took, she left work. I'll never forget her last day was August 18th, 2006. I had brought the kids back the month before to move into our house. She then I flew back out, and we all drove back, you know, to permanently live in Nashville, which is where we've been ever since, and. We did that. So three years after we moved to after we moved here, that took us about six years into my record deal. Missy was home with the kids. We were it was that was great. And the music business did what it does. It was crazy. Greatest, craziest thing I'll never do again. And <laughs> I, and in two thousand nine, and Steve and Sheree Burton had moved here. Uh, so in two thousand nine, Steve was commuting at that point, and I thought, you know what? I was, I, I didn't realize how much I missed acting. And I, and I thought, I think I need to go back for a while. And that's when I went, I flew back to LA and met with Jill Phelps and Bob and everybody who was at GH at that time. And they said, you know what, we're going to bring the character of Stephen Lars Weber back and you're going to play him. And so that was in 2009. And that was my re-entry on ABC. <laughs> And full circle, anyway. Full circle, full circle, and I got and I got to oh my gosh to get to to get to be Crazy Heather's son, which was mm-hmm. a, an adventure in itself. She's she's amazing, and um, I, that, to get to come back that way, and I was there for the next three and a half years or so uh, as Stephen Lars Weber, and that I never played a part or jumped into a part that was basically reprising a role somebody else had done in the past. So I was like, Oh gosh, this is interesting. I, I I've never done that before. So I didn't know what the fans were going to expect. I, so I had to treat it like it was just a brand new role that was coming onto the canvas. And it kind of was because enough time had passed, you know, to where I wasn't like trying to fill someone's shoes that had just left a week earlier, you know? So that was great. Um, so I kind of got to do bring myself to it and what I was going to do with it. And they gave me the freedom to do that. They said, you just, you treat it like it's, it's all yours and, and do what you want. And which was great. And so that was a really fun way to, you know, join the, join the GV, uh, the GHABC family. Mm-hmm. But music was still a part of your life there. So while at GH, you formed Port Chuck, a cover band with Steve Burton, Bradford Anderson and Brandon Barash. So we know you knew Steve, but like, what was the dynamic like now with Bradford and Brandon and the four of you? You know what? It was so, it was so um, uniquely special. We, we all got along anyway, but I'll never forget. Now we're talking GH now when the bus crash happens and Olivia and I are on this bus and they had me do hallelujah. 
And so, which is one of my favorite songs ever. And so I said, oh my gosh, I, that, this is amazing. I get to bring my guitar and make it part of this. And so Steve being Steve, who was always, he was, you know, your quintessential entrepreneur. I mean, he's been that ever since I've known him. Like he's made, he's you know, like creating business, like coming up with new ideas. And so after that, after I had done that little stint with the, the music on the bus and this and that, he, Steve came up with the idea of like, man, I feel like we need to create something for fans that kind of shows them and brings to the table something more than just a public appearance where they're just meeting us, standing in line and signing an autograph and smiling. Because that, you know, the, the public appearance was such a massive part of soaps at that point. And that was a way fans really got to, I think soap fans feel so connected to their favorite characters on these shows because I think people were so accessible because we did go out and meet meet the public. And, you know, uh, pretty much every weekend, we'd go out all over the country, all over Canada, in some cases around the world, because other the shows showed in other countries. And so Steve came up with the idea of like, man, how could we share share something with fans that is really special, shows them and shows them other sides of us, you know, uh, in, in front of their faces and and. So he, he thought Steve loved Steve always. He's like, man, if I could just, he loves the, he's loves the eighties. Like me, I love, I love the eighties rock music. And he's like, Port Chuck was kind of Steve's fantasy come true. As far as having, having like a, an eighties jukebox that was live, it, you know, <laughs> <laughs> Steve and I were a product of like eighties hair bands. And um, <laughs> so we, you know, Bradford, he said, you know, we got to find a couple other guys on the show who sing and, but that we click with and that we, you know, we can spend 24 hours a day with and have a great, this needs, we need to be having fun. The fans need to know that we're having fun so we can connect and relate to them. And Bradford was an obvious choice because Bradford had been singing. He'd been, he'd done so many different things musically and he brought something so different to the table musically. Um, and then, and, and we all were friends with Brandon and we, and we were like, somebody said Brandon had done some Broadway stuff, like uh chair benefit stuff for Broadway. And we're like, wait a minute, Bradford or Brandon sings too. So we approached Brandon, Brandon and Bradford both flipped out over the idea of like, uh, we can go out and be rock stars for a couple weeks at a time and, and sure. get to sing in front of people on stage and have a blast and get to meet fans that way. And share that with fans firsthand. So we met, we had no idea what to expect, you know, because we had to kind of create something that was going to showcase each of us in a different, you know, as far as what we did individually musically, but at the same time, it somehow had to be cohesive and make sense, you know, together, as opposed to just being a variety show where we're coming out individually, it had to be a together thing. All of us on stage, all of us singing at certain points together. So I brought my guitar over to uh, over to Bradford's apartment. We all hung out and we just I said, hey, let's bring everybody bring a pile of songs that you feel like fits who you are and represents who you are musically. And we're going to try to make this work uh, to where we can all sing the choruses and be the heart, the background vocals, if you will, while the guy the, while the front guy is doing his thing. And we could just take turns doing that. There are some songs where each of us can take a verse and let's see how that works. 
So we did. And we were like, oh my gosh, this, it, it just, it was so seamless from the get go. I mean, everybody was jumping in where they, it felt like where they should have jumped in and, and take, they took the role they took and each song individually. So, and Steve, it's hilarious because Steve, his thing, he always, from the time, you know, he's an Ohio kid and he wanted to be a, a white rapper from the day he was born. He wanted to be Eminem. <laughs> so I, and we're like, dude, here's your chance to, 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 be, to do your rapper dream. And so we're like, okay, man, you pick songs that you feel like you, you can represent. So we, for Steve, we started picking stuff like uh, Linkin Park in the end. And there, I mean, there, there's more, so much stuff out there. People don't even realize it's out there. We all found our little niche in Port Chuck, but it all worked together on every song and everybody, you know, everybody, you know, each guy would kind of step forward in the spotlight and do his verses or solo part and step back. And we, it was, it was arguably the most fun. I think any of us, any of us have ever had really. But uh, me personally, I think it was more, it was the most fun I ever had musically on top of stuff I got to do in a conventional uh, record deal because there were no expectations. We got to pick and choose stuff we loved. And the funny, our whole set list was a hit list. I mean, everybody knew every word of every song and it, every concert we did was like a big giant party. I mean, the audiences were, it was really un, unbelievable from the, from day one. We, we, I want, we want, we would get, we got off stage the first show we played as Port Chuck. I put together the band. I was kind of the music director because I had done the Nashville thing. So I, I put together a Nashville band. So we didn't sound like a garage band musically. We sounded like a, we sounded like a, a professional cover band really. And those guys, those were Nashville guys. They, they even said, they're like, I think this is probably the most fun we've ever got. We've ever gotten to have musically because we're playing our favorite songs on the planet and we get to turn it up as loud as we want and be rock and roll. <laughs> Could be better. I mean, it was, and the response was so amazingly, uh, the fans were incredible. We would bring people up on stage and sing like, tributes and we get you know we got to take care of people who were out there that might not have been you know might not have been able to sit as close because they were in a wheelchair or 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 somebody who might have been their dream to you know who might not have gotten to experience anything like that we had we got we had so many incredible things that we got to be a part of um as far as what we got to bring to people's lives during that you know i mean we did it for golly i mean three or four years of like, we got to do a, a few, a few tours a year. Um, and, um, and we got everything from broken down acoustic shows where it was just us four guys and myself on acoustic guitar and our drummer Dickie on a, on this one man band drum kit. And he played guitar. He played lead to full blown band shows where it was like, a, it was like we had light. I mean, it was like a, an arena show we put on. And um, so that, you know, we got to, we got to, we got to fulfill our rock and roll musical dreams while we're on general hospital. And I got, you know, I was like, we also, we always joke. We're like, maybe the next tour, like 
maybe we need to dress as our characters and and I could I you know I could wear scrubs you know Steve could wear his black t-shirt and leather jacket and you know uh Bradford could put on his his Harry Potter thing and and be the be the computer <laughs> computer nerd and Brandon could be you know he could be the gangster guy that he is the Johnny you know uh Zakara and um so you know and the funny thing we the funny thing is we never say never because literally maybe a week and a half ago, Steve texted all of us in a group text and he, and he, and he, and this, you know, this has been a while. That's even been a while ago now. Poor Chuck. That's, that's how quickly time is passing. And Steve's like, man, I have an idea. I'm like, Oh boy. I said, Steve has an idea. Look out. <laughs> and he said, I feel like, I feel like I have an idea of maybe there's something we could do musically again, you know, as, as, as us four poor Chuck guys. So you never know, you know, there may be something in the pipeline for the fans, you know, from, from poor Chuck uh, coming. Well, outside of like your career, this is like such a great time uh, for you, as you were suggesting earlier in the life of your family. Uh, Both of your children have recently gotten married and you just welcomed your first grandchild, little Woods, who was born about a month ago. And your daughter-in-law is is pregnant as well. So warmest congratulations. And we want to hear about what it was like for you to meet your first grandchild. Oh, thank you all so much. My, literally life, it has just, I mean, it, it's, it's an entirely new world for Missy and I. I'm like, wow, we feel like life has started over for us. I'm like, this is crazy. I said, my, you know, Emily moved for the time being. I'm always praying them back to Franklin, Tennessee, but they're in Iowa right now. And that's okay. Nate's whole family is in Iowa. He's in the National Guard. So he's on orders at uh, all of these test sites right now. So he has to be there doing his thing. And, and we understand that. And, but, you know, Missy and I have always been gypsies anyway. So we're road trippers and Emily, uh, Woods was born on October 25th, not October 25th. What? (laughs) Oh my gosh. We're not even in October yet. Um, (laughs) He was born about four weeks ago. Um, so Missy had gone up to Iowa, um, a, around about two weeks before Emily's due date. So she could be there to help her and, and kind of get ready. Cause you know, when that's happening, it could happen anytime. So you gotta be ready. And as soon as I got the call that Emily was in labor, I in the car and, um, I, I was going to jump in the car as soon as I got the word and I was going to head to Iowa. So Missy was up there for a couple of weeks and boom, uh, on the 24th, I got the call. Okay, we're going to the hospital. Okay, I'm in the car. Boom, and I had a nine and a half dri- hour drive ahead of me. Now I didn't. Now she didn't tell Emily I was gonna. I was gonna be able to show up on the day because she thought, oh, Dad's gonna. You know, he's gonna have to come after the baby's born because he's in Nashville. So man, I got in the car and I put the pedal to the metal and I got. I got there. 30 minutes. And, you know, in these times we're living in, we, Emily, everybody had to wait at their apartment for Emily and Nate to get to come home with the baby. And the hospital was literally a five minute walk from their apartment, apartment with the baby. Every, you know, 30 minutes after that, I come knocking on the door and it was the, it was the greatest thing. Emily freaked out and I got to see my grandson 30 minutes after he got home. And it was, I mean, 
I was sitting there holding him just going, I was, this was Emily yesterday. I was holding our daughter yesterday just after she came home. And it just, it changes your whole, it was, everything else disappears. I mean, everything else, nothing else matters. And you're seeing this little baby and I'm going, oh my gosh, I can see. And Nate is one of the best fathers and husbands to our daughter everything a dad could hope for. And, um, and so he looked Woods McLean Smith is his name and Woods was Nate's grandfather's name. So his first name is named after Nate's grandfather, who Nate was extremely close to McLean, uh, was my grandmother's maiden name. So he, his name, you know, pays tribute to Nate's grandpa and my grandma's family. And so you know, I always, every time I see him, I call him his whole name. Cause I'm like, Woods McLean Smith. Everybody in his little face. I see Emily. I see Nate. I see me. I see, I see Nate's. I, I see her. I'm like, uh, this is just such, it's like this, this such, such a little bundle of goodness and just pure joy. And, Everybody that encounters that is just everything else goes away and their smiles and they just their smiles everywhere and they just want to hold this little guy and he's just and he's starting and it's only been four weeks and he's starting to smile and and, and it's it's so special. And then Larry's do uh, September. They're doing September. Larry and Livy are due September 18th and it, another little boy and. I kind of feel like, and they're kind of hoping, I think, that it comes earlier. I think Livy especially, she's like, I think it's going to happen earlier. And um, she's like, she's like ready. And it, it's, it's, it's like she has a little beach ball, just tight beach ball. And so we're just anxiously waiting for baby Reeves um, to come. They, now, they won't tell us his name. We have our ideas. And I think think it's wishful thinking and hopeful, but I feel like it's going to be what we think it's going to be. And um, as soon as, as soon as that happens, we'll let you know what, what new, what the new baby Reeves name is. And he's going to be the first, you know, grandson slash great grandson of my parents to carry on the Reeves name. And which is kind of a cool thing. And um, so we're super excited and they're going to be, and that's another reason that, Oh, we're just praying that Nate and Emily get back here, which I feel like is going to happen. So the cousins can hang and, right. and be buddies. And Papa, They'll be so close in age. Yeah. And Papa G wants to be able, to, and I'm Papa G, uh, wants to be able to have one on each hand, walking them down to the ice cream store and taking them fishing and doing all those things that a grandpa gets to do. And um, so it, Missy and I decided on our grandparent names probably 10 years ago because we couldn't wait <laughs> so i'm papa g and missy is sweet mama oh. <laughs> yeah. i feel like i've been asking missy about grandchildren for the last 10 years <laughs> so, <laughs> to finally have it happen oh true well, and you've known our kids since they were born yes yes i have and they were on the cover of, well emily was on the cover of some other i guess twice as a baby like as a baby yes. and then it's like a toddler yeah yeah so, it's incredible. It's it's crazy to see 
just any any actors with children who then get married and have children, it certainly, it is. It, for our side of it, just really hits it all home how long I've been yeah. here. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? We have so, we have so, we have so much history, our, our friendship. I think that's, mm-hmm. there's something so cool about that. Totally. I, I feel the same way. I, I get very, like, excited when I see your children with, you know, with their spouses and children oh, now. Oh, oh. And it's unbelievable. Um, another family endeavor, though, has been the coffee <laughs> business, Revival Roasting Company. So tell us just how that's going and where everyone can get this fabulous coffee. Yes, I'm going to try to continue. <laughs> Yes, because I am infamous for making for including way too many details. That's why my stories are so long, and um, I need my <laughs> wife here to go. I need fewer details, just the information. You got to condense. I'm going to try. So, uh, actually, the coffee company was born. Um, it was. It really pays homage to my grant, my grandparents on my mother's side, Rex and Evie Freels. My grandpa gave me my first cup of coffee. Not really. It was like a quarter of an inch of coffee and all milk and sugar. <clears throat> so. I could have coffee with grandpa back when I was five years old and I never stopped loving coffee. It eventually, the milk and sugar went away and I, and I went black, like from the day I was, I think 14 on. And I never, I never put another thing in my coffee ever again. Cause I started it really appreciate. I'm such a purist. I love coffee for what it is at its purest. Nothing wrong with putting milk and sugar. My, Missy, Missy puts all that stuff in it, but I love as, as years went by, we were blessed with children who love, who have a passion and, and love coffee as much as we do. And my son, when he, about four or five years ago, decided he wanted to learn how to roast coffee and go into that world and that business, he learned how to roast. And that inspired me. And I said, okay, I need, I need to learn how to roast coffee, source the greatest beans on the planet so I can share my passion with people. And I can, I can, pull the, the best that coffee can be out of the beans and, and share that with people. And then, and you know, so, uh, revival. And if you go on our website, it's revivalroastingco.com. And it, mm-hmm. uh, again, R E V I V A L R O A S T I N G C O.com. And, right. um, we have an Instagram and all that stuff, but if you go on there, we have a little video of our story and and why you know why we got the name and what that relates to and everything most most all of our coffees the names of our roasts pay tribute to something that has to do with my grandparents like we have a rex roast my my grandfather's name was rex we have an evie roast her name was evie 1914 is our flagship roast because that's the year my grandfather was born and that's why we say that our coffee company was launched in 1914 because the second my grandpa was born, that's when this coffee company was born. And, um, and so if you go on, there's also Dresden as a roast and that's the town my grandpa was born in. And, and then, and then as we moved along and the kids are part of, part of our coffee company too. Emily does all of our social media marketing, all she does so much that has to do with who we are, uh, on a social media level and what, who, what people see. Um, you know, as far as coming up with other new names, uh, like our, our decaf is shade and she has the most beautiful descriptions of what that means to us. And, um, and so we just, uh, we, you know, we try, we, our dream was to have something all of us could be involved in together as a family. And, um, and so we, we roast on site on our property. I built a roastery. Uh, we package, we do it all ourselves. 
we, we literally, I was just this morning, I was roasting and packing and, and shit. And I just came out to ship coffee, um, you know, just before I got on with you guys. And uh, because we really wanted it to be hands-on and I want people to know that it's growing at a steady, slow pace because I, I don't want to compromise any of the integrity of what we want to do and what we want to provide, provide for people because we drink this coffee and I want people to be able to taste and to enjoy exactly what we enjoy at, at, you know, at a very, you know, at a very competitive price. And again, we, we, we want to be, we want everybody to be able to experience it. Well then Scott, would you ever consider a return to daytime? Whether Ryan had a twin or maybe Stephen Lars could come back or Jake. Hey, you know can what? you come back to days? Can you imagine? Talk about full, full circle. I definitely would. I, I never say never. I've, got, I've been able to be, I've been so blessed to do so many different things from an acting standpoint. Um, and, but at the same time, you know, I've, I've always had a place in my heart for my daytime family, because once you do that, and once you're plugged into that for any period of time, I mean, my gosh, like Missy, she started days at the beginning of 1985. I mean, that that's crazy. And people, I mean, when I tell people that, they just, they can't even believe it. They're like, I remember her first scenes. I mean, I was in high school watching and I remember her. It's insane. And so when I went to YNR, YNR has a really special place in my heart only because that's where I really start. I mean, that's where I was able to, I started there. I blossomed, I feel like I blossomed there. And that, that show allowed me to become who I was as, as an actor. And I got to do so, I mean, I got to run the gamut as far as emotionally. And I, 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 that's the show I consider myself growing up on from an acting standpoint. And, um, and then, but at the same time, I, I, I always, I, I really respected General Hospital from the time, all of the entire time. Um, I'll never forget, you know, I believe I was up, I was up for an Emmy against Steve Burton one year and um, like a supporting Emmy or something like that. And this was back when everything was in New York at Radio City Music Hall and um, Steve won. And, uh, but we always give each other a hard time about that. And, and, I, and I thought, wow, you know what? I love my YNR family, but I also respect the GH family and what just the, the work that they brought, you know, to the table, you know, and, and then I got to be on it. And so I have a great, you know, I never say no. And I, I definitely would. I, I thought, golly, my wife has, she's been the one commuting for, I mean, since we've lived in Tennessee, she's had this crazy schedule of literally going back and forth for goodness. She, she went back to why or days almost around the time I, I went to GH because when they got wind that I was coming to GH, of course, Ken, Ken has been always been so gracious to Missy. And I mean, she's like, I mean, that's his family and he's all, it's, it's been an open door policy for him. And he's like, you always have a home here. And of course, when they found out I was coming to GH back in 2009, they called her and said, would you, would you want, be interested in coming back and reprising role of Jennifer? And cause I think she was off in England or the UK somewhere with the newspaper. And, um, yeah, so she's like, I, we were in LA at that point. We kept our home here, but we just rented a place there for the time being. And I, she said, 
Sure. And that's when she went back in 2009. And that's been 11 years. Crazy. So when I came back to Tennessee the second time in 2000, end of 2013, beginning of 2014, she started, she's been, that, that poor thing has been commuting for six years <laughs> and never complained. She's like, she has been such she a loves flying. Huh? She loves flying, she, she says. You know what? I've never seen anyone who loves hanging out in airports more than my wife. <laughs> I'm like, she's like, oh, she would get so excited to go to the airport and just sit in the airport chair waiting for her flight and then getting, it's always been like, she's getting to go on a trip like every other week, you know? <laughs> so... So she did that for six. So I said, you know what? At this point, I was like, you know what? If 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 that's what it came down to, and I would <clears throat> like I said, I would totally consider if if the opportunity came up and the timing was right and the right the writing was right as far as how they did it, I would I would totally consider going back to YNRGH. And um and uh and I never say never. I said, you know what? It's and I have so many good friends. And and now that <laughs> the 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 amazing thing is. Tracy Bregman wrecked. Tracy Bregman at this point, she she moved to she moved twenty minutes away from us now, so we see Tracy all the time. Awesome. And she commute she commutes. Right. See, you and, know, people on the with you. And uh, you at this in this day and age, you can kind of live anywhere, and com- and it's you're just commuting to work. It's like it's like being on a bus for three and a half hours, an air bus. Right. Everyone's doing it. And everyone's doing it. So you can, and that's. And really, everything I've done outside of the soaps, even up to this point, I was very blessed to be a part of. Um, or since since I've lived here, and I then I took a big break from the music because it just about killed me. Um, <laughs> we, uh, I, I started working out of Nashville and Atlanta, and uh, you know, I was able, I got to, I got to be a really a part of a really cool series of movies on Netflix, uh, which was Dolly Parton's Heartstrings series. And um, so I got to play with Julianne Hough and Kim Paisley and Jolene um, because that was all done. At, and Kim lives here. And so a lot of people are, are doing that. And we shot that in Atlanta. And then I got to do another show in Atlanta. And then I got to, I got to do so many cool things or I have been able to. So it's extremely, I just, Signed with a new manager. Signed <laughs> that was Dustin. Highbrow oh, Brew. Another. We all these small coffee companies. We support each other. So, um, but uh, I'm. I, I just signed with a new manager uh, out of L.A. Actually, uh, just to have L.A. representation. And I'm meeting with another agent tomorrow out of L.A. via Zoom, like we're doing. Here. Oh, okay. <laughs> and so, I. You know, it's you can pretty much be anywhere, you know? So, which is such a cool, cool thing. So it could happen is what you're saying. You never know. You never know. Yeah. It could happen. Totally. <laughs> and Steve, I'd be very happy. Steve owes Olivia. Steve owes Olivia an apology for confessing to murder rather than marrying her. So. <laughs> yes, Steve, I, he really does. And I, it's funny. I have, I've, I've been on the phone with Frank Valentini probably a couple times over the past year. And, and, uh, we've jokingly talked about Steve, you know, it's about, I mean, maybe, you know, Steve got parole. I don't know. Who knows? Maybe, 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 maybe he's a fugitive on the run. That could be interesting. Maybe he broke out of jail. and I don't know. 
so many opportunities. So many opportunities. And, and Ned, Ned and Olivia need some complication in their life, right? Mm-hmm. 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 Definitely. <laughs> it writes itself. <laughs> Oh my goodness. Well, Scott, we thank you so much for joining us and sharing all your stories. We love catching up with you. Oh, thank you. Congratulations on everything that's going on for you all. Thank you so much for having me. I've enjoyed this so much. And the next time you you guys need like a three or four hour um, conversation, you know who to come to. (laughs) You're number one. (laughs) All right. We'll talk soon. Sounds good. It was good to see y'all. You too. Thanks, Scott. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you to Scott Reeves for being our guest. If you like this podcast, please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Be sure to pick up an issue on sale now and come back next week for another podcast.